Hey, good morning, church family. Some events this past week put me on an emotional roller coaster ride, and they all connect around the value of community to rejoice with those who rejoice, to mourn with those who mourn. I celebrated my birthday this week, and I was a little down when I realized how quickly time was passing me by. However, I cheered up when I had dinner yesterday with friends who happened to be our preaching team. The other CLC pastors and their wives, plus our fantastic worship director, came over to my backyard to help me celebrate. Of course, midweek, like many of you, I was reeling from the shooting in Atlanta that killed eight people, six who were Asian women. One moment I was grieving, the next angry. But I was encouraged by a few of my Black friends who reached out to me in solidarity to check in on how our community and I were doing. And this week was the anniversary of the official announcement that we were in a pandemic. A year ago, we were all told to shelter in place, wear face masks, and to socially distance ourselves. Since then, our lives have changed dramatically, even changing how we do church community. Now, I take for granted that I can't see your smiling faces or you laughing at my humor. I even have to admit I miss looking out into the audience and seeing some of you sleeping through my messages. You know who you are. I remember I was totally freaked out preaching the first time into a webcam, all by my lonesome in my room. I usually don't get nervous speaking, so it surprised me how anxious I was, talking to no one in front of me into an emotionless monitor. In that moment, I felt so alone and realized the terrible loss of church community. I kind of feel dumb stating the obvious, but here goes. We were not created to be alone. We have a relational God who himself has the Son and the Holy Spirit. We need community with each other. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, we have settled into a new normal where isolation has become acceptable. Disconnectedness is embraced further compounding the problem of loneliness that was an issue even before the COVID shutdown. Why is reactivating church community so important? There are many reasons why God wants us to gather together as his church, like to encourage one another, to love one another, to hold each other accountable, to name just a few. Another reason church community matters, it is God's plan to reach others for Jesus. However, due to social distancing from shelter in place, we risk not being the church community known as CLC. In the absence of regularly gathering together in person, it has become easier to naturally drift away from church. It's human nature and the laws of entropy. Yet church community is not optional. We are in a series called Following Jesus in the Bay Area, based on the book Follow Me by David Platt. The author challenges us to look at ourselves to evaluate if our Christian faith is being lived out according to the way Jesus modeled for us. A quote from the book, Follow Me, says, Anyone who claims to be a Christian, yet is not an active member of a church, may not actually be a follower of Christ at all. Whoa, strong statement by David Platt. But I want to clarify that Platt is not saying salvation is dependent on joining a church. That is only possible through Jesus Christ. But being active with a local church community 
is more an outward expression in response to being a follower of Jesus. Platt states that the majority of people in America associate a church with a physical building. Instead of a building, the church is comprised of people who share life of Christ with each other on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis. Now, let me have that thought sink in. The church is comprised of people who share life of Christ with each other on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis. Sharing life with each other in the long run cannot be achieved solely by hanging out virtually. As vaccinations increase and with the opening up of our local communities, we must prepare our church to meet together in a safe manner. We will have to stretch those relational muscles of community that have atrophied over the past year. I want to challenge us to reimagine church community. We have an opportunity to unleash an improved version of CLC. The pre-pandemic world we knew is likely no longer. Planning for a new normal will be necessary. Of course, there will be allowances for the different comfort levels for meeting together. Understandably, there will be definitely change. But one thing that has not changed, Jesus still says, come follow me. To follow Jesus means to be radical like him. Jesus came to flip the world upside down. And with this principle in mind, shouldn't we see church community as being radical too? And this will make many of us very uncomfortable. Thankfully, God has given us a picture of the church in Acts 2. The issue is not that we believe in that model, but do we seriously want to live it out? Becoming the Acts 2 church is not as easy as you think, but the closer we can get, the closer we will be to God's plan for his churches and reaching people for him. So my main idea for you to remember today is radical Christian community is good news. It's the gospel lived out. So share it with others. Okay, let's dive into God's word for instruction. In most translations, the passage that is known as a fellowship of believers airmarks Acts 2 verse 42 as the starting verse. But I want to share with you a different view of this passage that begins by including verse 41. So let's read Acts 2 verses 41 to 47, starting with verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and and, and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. By day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. From Acts 2 verses 41 to 47, my first point is to state the obvious. Christian community is radical. That's what it's supposed to be. God desires his people to live differently from the world's way. So let's look at Acts 2 and see what characteristics we can find in this description of church community 
that we could see as being radical. Verses 41 and 47 are paired up, and I will skip for now and address them later. From verse 42 and verse 43, the believers had teaching, prayer, and meals, and the people were amazed at the wonders performed by the apostles. In verses 46 and 47, similar characteristics to verses 42 and 43 are also mentioned. The people went to temple, gave praise, and had meals, and all the people were amazed. The faith community had favor with all the people. So looking at these attributes of church community, we can see how we measure up. We can easily say, hey, we do all those things. Yes, we have teaching, prayer, and praise in our online church. Before the pandemic, we did break bread together at our after-service after lunches. Actually, I guess DoorDash lunches count now too. And we can make a case that we are gathering currently at the temple each week virtually. Some of us are actually breaking bread outdoors during shelter in place, as I did last night. So as we go down the checklist, you can say, Pastor Calvin, where's the radical part? Well, here it comes. The radical characteristics are found in verses 44 and 45. My second point is, radical Christian community is a place where all had things in common and money was raised to share with all that had need. Now, can I have you all say, had all things in common? Now, can you say, to all as any had need? These two characteristics are game changers, but honestly, hard to put into practice. They are not minor points, not secondary, but the main point of the passage the critical reason that led God to bless the early church. Often scripture is read linearly, which is the common Western modern view, that the last sentence in a passage is considered the concluding idea. Many teach that verse 41 belongs to the first part of chapter two, where the apostle Peter is preaching. And if the emphasis is on sermons saving people, then you could make verse 41 as the conclusion. And that verse reads, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. But here's an alternative I found in my research that comes from more tribal or family oriented cultures as opposed to modern logical linear thinking. Instead, the author Luke might have used a common Greek literary form called chiastic structure. In chiastic structure, the main point for a passage is sandwiched between parallel points. The parallel points are verses 42 to 43, and on the other side, verses 46 to 47, which I talked about earlier of having similar characteristics of Christian community, like teaching, prayer, praise, and the breaking of bread. They are like mirror images, and secondary to the central main point. The concluding points are found on the outer bookends of a chiastic passage, which would be verses 41 and 47. So where is the main point that leads to the concluding points? The central main idea of this passage is found exactly in the middle, which are verses 44 and 45. Now, I, I know some of you are totally confused. 
So I have a slide that illustrates this chiastic structure, and I hope you can see it on your screens. And from the contrasting colors of the verses, you can see the pattern of the structure visually. When we look at the world, it is obvious. It is divided into the haves and the have-nots. Imagine hearing these words of having all things in common and proceeds would be distributed to all as any had need. To the have-nots, the poor and the disadvantaged who Jesus gravitated towards, this is a wonderful church community that shared everything with each other. What is mine is yours and vice versa. And furthermore, I think this means more than just material things in common, but I get a sense all things in common in verse 44 is consistent with Apostle Paul's teaching of unity among diversity. Imagine the hope that the have-nots would feel in being treated this way, to be included and not excluded in God's church community. Now, on the flip side, imagine what the haves were thinking. According to verse 45, people sold their belongings to give to those who were in need. The haves did not just give pocket change, but intentionally sacrificed and liquidated their assets to give away to people in the community that, ha that had need. The haves in Acts 2 church shared to the point everyone had all things in common. Not just some things, but apparently all things. This is the radical nature of Christian community that honestly is hard for us to imagine including myself. I mean, God, are you asking me to give away my stuff that I work so hard for to someone else who has less? As I wrestle with Acts 2, apparently so. Why is this so difficult? There are three powerful forces that possibly prevent us from having true community. They are individualism, consumerism or materialism, and racism. Individualism is especially strong in America. It breaks down community because it is always about me, myself, and I. Caring about someone else and fulfilling corporate responsibility for others is part of healthy biblical community, but is in conflict with personal interests. Individualism is in tension with mutual submission. Consumerism and materialism by nature is self-centered. Christian community of looking out for others goes against the grain of self-gratification that consumerism encourages. Materialism is deeply connected to money to satisfy the need to consume. And the pursuit of money at its roots often invo involves exploiting or taking advantage of others to accumulate wealth. That is the dark side of capitalism, which is transactional over relational. And I don't think I have to explain why racism breaks down community and divides us. We just have to look around us to see the current news reports of racism, like the rise in anti-Asian hate. This past week, many of us were shaken by the horrific murder of eight people in Atlanta, six being Asian women. And law enforcement is reporting that the white male shooter said his motive for killing was not racist but rather he was having a bad day. That he, that he was a victim also due to sex addiction and was just eliminating his temptations. Hmm. 
this was not anti-Asian hate. And just by coincidence that the victims were primarily Asian women and three Asian businesses, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, must be a duck. These three forces have been around a long time. Even Adam and Eve committed sin by their expression of individualism, by choosing to listen to Satan, that they had the right to take a bite of the forbidden fruit if they wanted to. And who was God to tell them they couldn't? Jesus came to earth with good news for a broken world. Jesus was considered a radical because he wanted to disrupt the status quo, which was more like every man for himself. Instead, he showed us a better way to love one another as he loved his disciples with unconditional sacrifice. To share to anyone in need to achieve having everything in common is radical. That would shake up status quo and likely upset the haves. But that is the Acts 2 church. And the question is, can we actually do it? Radical Christian community is good news. It's the gospel lived out. So share it with others. Why is sharing as part of a church community good news and advances the kingdom of God? According to Acts 2, true radical Christian community is attractive to others. It is outreach personified. When people see Christians loving others by sharing to anyone in need, they want to join that community too. Church growth happens, and from the chiastic structure of this passage, that's what the twin concluding verses, verse 41 and 47, tell us. God added to the early church's numbers in the thousands. I like the chiastic structure emphasis on sharing to those in need so everyone had things in common over the emphasis on Peter's preaching as a reason for growth. Granted, both are needed for evangelism. But preaching is usually done by only a few, like the church pastors. If church members think preaching alone causes people to find Jesus, they can sit back and do nothing for outreach. Whereas the Acts 2 church model for evangelism requires everyone to participate, to live life together that attracts others to come. A generous, self-sacrificial community is so attractive and good news for the world. It is what the Apostle James told us, a faith without works is dead, but rather a person's faith is justified by works. It's walk the talk. Whenever we demonstrate unusual generosity, especially as a corporate church community, we capture people's attention. Our last eye screening in Oakland is a perfect example. We had partnered with another local church using their facilities to host the eye screening. We mobilized over 150 volunteers, of which more than half were from our own congregation. And we blessed over 200 patients over three days and dispensed out nearly the same number of eyeglasses. But the big God story was not the free eyeglasses. It was the witness of a community of followers of Jesus Christ working together to serve the neighborhood. Because of the eye screening, The neighbors were coming out of their apartments out of curiosity to talk to the church members to find out what was going on. And these neighbors were amazed. The church community was doing something that was tangible and met the needs of the working poor and under-resourced 
by providing free eye care. These same people who were disinterested in the church's outreach attempts in the past were now curious to visit that church. As a Christian community, sharing with any who had need is a powerful message of good news that grows the kingdom, like what was seen in the Acts 2 church. Radical church community is good news, so share it with others. So what's the challenge? So what now? In the midst of our pandemic, there seems to be light at the end of the tunnel with vaccinations increasing. How do we do church going forward? How can we reimagine church community and apply the ideas from Acts 2 Church? I don't expect us to take giant steps, but small steps are okay. And here are a couple suggestions for application. Start first by looking around you to see the needs people may have, especially people in your immediate circles, and give help to anyone in need as the Holy Spirit leads you. By showing unexpected generosity to others as a result of your kindness, their curiosity might prompt them to ask, why are you doing this? And you can respond by saying, let me tell you about a God who loves you. The more you give, the more joy you will receive in return. Second, our staff has a new rally cry. Go smaller to grow bigger to have scalable community in the midst of a pandemic. Not lament what we cannot do, but maximize what we can do. Large gatherings will involve caution still. To have in-person worship services requires sound protocols to be formed so we can have safe events. And assuredly, our staff, along with our ministry teams, is making plans to open up as restrictions are lifted. On the other hand, we can immediately have small gatherings of about 10 people, regardless of COVID or no COVID. Even Acts 2 Church met in their homes instead of the temple. There's an old saying, life change happens best in small groups. Practically speaking, it makes sense to mobilize our church to think in smaller units for in-person gatherings, at least in the near future and even beyond. Relationships can grow better on a smaller scale. A person can still feel lonely in a group of 10 people. Deeper and more intimate conversations happen in closer circles. Reimagine our whole church was actively inviting others to have fellowship together, especially in smaller groups. And I am not just talking about our own members, but people who are unchurched and unconnected to community. If we don't live the life of Christ with each other, as David Platt says, on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis, we obviously cannot be a radical community as God calls us to be, to attract others for Jesus. Radical Christian community is good news, so share it with others. Can we reimagine church community together for the gospel, for our own sake, for the sake of others, and to truly follow Jesus in the Bay Area? I dearly hope so. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you created us to be in community, first with you and then with each other. Your son Jesus taught us how we love one another. The world will know we are his disciples. Genuine radical Christian community in the form of the local church is good news for the world. 
that is a powerful witness to an unbelieving world that attracts people seeking a better way. Help us, Father, because it will not be easy to do on our own, to share with anyone in need so that we will all have everything in common. Our hope is in you alone. And I pray this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen.